Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety program. You just heard a clip from Kintanji Brown-Jackson in her Supreme Court hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's the kind of nominee that we're dealing with here. This is, this is I think, largely been downplayed by the mainstream media and everybody else about what kind of a nomination this is. This is sort of a fait accompli, sort of this, this thing that's eventually going to happen. This isn't a controversial nominee. Let me just say that answer just to that and we're going to play more in this in this episode we're going to we're going to cover quite a bit of this that answer highlights such an unbelievably radical view leftist view Mm -hmm. in this country that i can't believe this person has even been nominated to be on the supreme court yeah i mean to get right into it i think that to me is incredibly telling because you can feel that there's there's kind of like a fear and desperation there of knowing the far left will come for me if if I if I state exactly what a woman is. That a is woman right is here. a woman. Yeah, uh, the, she she knows that they're the the groups that uh the far left is now basically they dictate what the left does. Right. All these dark for her. all these dark money organizations Bingo. that have propped her up from the beginning. Yep. The people that believe in court packing, these radical leftists. Yep. Demand justice, those other right, left wing dark Right. The money people groups. that drove around trucks saying retire Briar. Yep. They have a lot invested in her. So she can't and every every Supreme Court, you know, confirmation hearing, there are evasive answers. Obviously. Sure. Because you get to specific points and well, policy. Well, they always want to ask them how they're going to rule on like Roe right, v. Wade. Right, 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 like right, 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 right. And you can understand in situations like that where you're a judge and you don't want to be prejudicial to a, a, a case that will come before your court. I well, you understand. have to recuse yourself if you are. Right, right. I, I get that. But the That's fact, not what this was. Right. Now we are at the point in our politics where saying a woman is a woman is something you can't commit to. I can't believe that how is ra- fucking wild. How radical can you become as a society? And and, and and it's that she she can be bullied by by those interests on the left. Is she though? That, that, is here's she, the thing: is, is if, that what it is? If, because if I know that's your take. If she's in fear of the le- of these left wing groups, if she if she's in fear of the where the far left grassroots is, if if, if she's worried about what they will think. Then she's going to legislate from the bench. Out is of fear. she but, in but fear, the, or is that her? Yeah, the, that's the, my question. That's the, that's, the, o- the obvious answer here, because it was Senator Marsha Blackburn, a, a, real, a real leader on the Judiciary Committee. It was her asking the question. It was, the real answer was, "I'm a woman. You're a woman. The chairman is not." Well, I mean, I just it doesn't it doesn't seem like a particularly difficult question, a, to, she, unless all she had to say was, "I'm a woman." That's all she had to say. But you could also say. 
a transgender woman is a woman. Which is what you, what you, you could say that. You're skipping ahead. That is what the reason right. why she's not saying right. what a woman, because she knows there's like 16 variations in leftist world about what makes up a gen- and gender. That's, and that's my point, and I think that's all of our point. And it's how unprepared she was to, to, to tell them what they wanted to hear when she was like, oh, I'm not a biologist, when it's like, well... The time for biologists making these calls. What, what is, what is, I don't think you ago. need a degree to tell what a penis right. is. It's unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like I just don't. I just don't understand. Fundamentally, do not understand how we've gotten to a place in our nation's politics, Dude, it, in yes. our discourse, yes. where we have a Senate Judiciary hearing about a Supreme Court. There's nine of them. Right. There's fucking nine of them. Right. Who, not, who not rule? If, not if the left have. Yeah. Well, but rule over every single aspect of legislation of of litigation all the things that come to the supreme court and this person cannot accept the common definition of what makes up a gender and not because either as smug said that she's afraid that the left will come for her or you know as my view is she may not even believe that you know what Uh, you know i think you make a really good point because given you know the discussion that uh Senator Cruz got into a couple days ago during the hearing of where he was like, you sit on the board of Georgetown Day School. Here's their curriculum. And it was like the most woke left wing agenda ever. And this is what's being taught to kids. It's not like I'd expect this is like an Oberlin College graduate study on wokeness. Right. Right. But it's like, no, this is actually second grade curriculum. But the the Blackburn question and, and what you said from Ted Cruz reveals something obvious to all of us in politics over these last few years. And that is for 99% of the American people, these are very easy questions to answer. Yes. Right? There is a 1% in our society that dictates what you can and can't describe in basic reality. Right. And and that now dominates our politics. That is fucking wild. It's wild to me. It's wild to me that in a 50-50 Senate, right. we're litigating this. If Democrats had 60 votes, I'd be like, shit. Yeah, you they're going to steamroll us on this. Uh, this is what bullshit. it is. But in a 50-50 Senate, the fact that there is anybody who's in, who calls themselves in the center, who is not pretty afraid of the ideological makeup of a judge that can't tell you what gender someone is what else i mean look that's the tip of the iceberg it gets a lot more complicated after that right it's unbelievable i I think it it reveals something about her that you know the court the court is supposed to be bigger than the politics of today you know in in years past if someone were to ask any nominee to this court that question they'd be like are you kidding what 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 why are you even asking me that question but she's swept up in the politics of the moment and I think that's one of the most scary things. I'm not that, a biologist. What the dude? She's the gonna, beginning of the time. Beginning if, of time. If she is confirmed, if she is confirmed to the United States Supreme Court, she'll be the first black woman on the United States Supreme Court, and she can't tell you what a woman is. Think about that. Think about that. It's I I can't. It's it anyway. We're gonna have a big show. You can tell we're pretty fired up. We've been watching a lot of this. Smug's fired up. We're all fired up. We got a big program. We got a very controversial but fun guest today with Mike Cernovich. Um, I have found, fellas, that from doing this program, that when you talk to people from different sides of the party, you learn new things. You learn 
interesting components. You also learn that people are not what they've been made out to be. Yeah, who'd have thought that like the mainstream media yeah. has an agenda? Right. <laughs> right. But it's not even the mainstream media. You find this in like, you know, either conservative circles that sort of segment themselves one way or another. But like what we attempt to do on Ruthless is to, to like break down all of that. And we'll talk to anybody. And I we've all I think had some relationship with Mike over the years and and talked to him about a range of different issues. And he's like a perfect guest for for what we're trying to do on this program. I think you're going to enjoy the interview. Um, and then we've got a Hack Madness update. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, voting has concluded for the second round, and there were some upsets, folks. Uh, Joey Brackets, Joseph Wolfson over at uh, Fox News, continues to do just absolute wonderful coverage of uh, how the voting has been going. So for folks who are not aware... Every year we have a tournament of uh, 65, there's a play-in, liberal media hacks. (laughs) And folks vote on Twitter. They go head-to-head. It's just like March Madness, but it's more important. There's a lot more at stake. Yeah, that's right. And uh, now we're down to 16. So, I I, I mean, the headline and and, and the (laughs) subheadline are just The the subheadline is the best. Do you want to read it, Ashbrook? Go for it, Ashbrook. After a rousing start, Jeffrey Tubin went limp in his battle against <laughs> CNN colleague Don Lemon. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, it really this this whole this whole uh, series really captures the moment. I mean, this is this uh, you know we've talked about this a number of times. This is a tournament that gets over a million votes. This is the preeminent it is. preeminent tournament that's not you know college basketball online, and you know the his the, their lead is so strong. The second round of the Liberal Hack Tournament was an absolute bloodbath with media stars clawing their way into the Sweet 16 of the NCAA-style contest presented by the Ruthless Podcast. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and we got that in radio voice, Ashbrook. Yeah, I know yeah. we did. It was nice. <laughs> it was good. It was nice. <laughs> we got that for free. <laughs> we got that for free. I, I'll, I'll just say there's been a number of competitors who've been trying to bring a gay material oh, here. Oh, yeah. You Especially know? during this nomination. This, these people have been showing up. They've been showing this up. This has been a tough, tough, tough fight. Because there's always been a question when it comes to the, the round of 64, and as we winnow our way down, whether the body of work throughout a year, and a career really, yep. Yep. outweighs and outstrips your what have you done for me lately. Right. And it seems to me that the what have you done for me lately is beginning to play a big role. Which I think kind of makes sense because, you know, you always have these Cinderella teams that just get hot at the right time, you know, and and they'll upset a team. So it's unfolding in in such a brilliant manner. And again, I want to reiterate, it takes a lot of work. I just do not, you know, because I respect democracy and the process of voting. I don't want to tip the scales. I don't put my thumb on the scales at all. And I've just, I've been... Very, very amazed with all these results. I mean, my bracket's busted to all hell. The one that I filled out. Um, the, the 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 main headline on this article said that uh, Olbermann gets the last laugh on Maddow. Joy Reid upsets Nicole Hannah Jones. I mean, so it's uh, you so, know. But if you've been paying attention, Joy Reid's been doing some work. She has. That's the thing. Right. Been that's doing some thing. work. Right. Well, and then also uh, Joy Behar, uh, who upset Aaron Rupar. Oh, yeah, that that was was another one. That was a big upset. She's also been doing some work. However, I remember in our selection show, we all pointed to her being able to make a run. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And that's what's happening here. We cannot sleep on this this Taylor Lorenz fight. 
uh, that's down 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 the bracket a little bit. Let me just read a minute of this uh, uh, this Fox. Lorenz, a number two seed, is hoping to go further in the tournament this year as she was defeated in the Sweet 16 last year, but she will first have to overcome how to be an anti-racist author, <laughs> Ibram X. Kendi, a number three seed. So Lorenz is a two seed. Kendi's a three seed. It will be the ultimate match between Lorenz's iconic, quote, internet culture brand versus Kendi's influential critical race theory vision. Oh, it's that's, just that's, it's, that's a matchup to watch. And and Joey Brackett's covered this like Hemingway. I mean, it is just it's a beautiful writing style. You got to follow him. He is he is just incredible at covering yeah, this tournament. Uh, Joe Wilson over at Fox News, outstanding work. And and I got to say, like uh, when you talk about you know my last takeaway, when you talk about a team getting hot at the right time, it was just like right before voting ended. That uh, Nicole Hannah Jones dropped that take that tipping is slavery. yeah the tipping is racist yeah, yeah I know I know oh, she man. just missed her window she could have come back oh it she was so good back. too That's I true. felt like another twelve hours and she would have gotten yeah there. like what a take that launched what a, a lot of very funny memes I mean tipping <laughs> is did you see did you see somebody posted a, a picture of a receipt and they at the bottom under the tip line they were like I will not post a tip this is racist I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, like 12 hours earlier i think that i think should be in the sweet 16 so i, think I mean so it too. really comes down to getting hot at the right time so if you haven't yet folks you know check it out online check the ruthless twitter account and vote you know we're gonna we're gonna have the next round starting up to uh when There's, you're hearing yeah, this right now, right now as yeah. you're hearing this uh so get on there and vote i love it all right let's re- let's read some five stars dunks you want to start with this uh i think i have to i mean i think, I, I feel like we're sentencing you yeah to i think this i one. i think i have to have to read this one this is from uh chief justice thomas best username i think great, had on great, the show. great so username good. the title is duncan is suitor 2.0 <laughs> which is just okay all right uh did did, did your mom write this one she did not Although she probably agrees. <laughs> From his ignorance of precedent, uh, parenthetical here, see ruling against Holmes' re-misuse of the internet, mm-hmm. to his changing the procedural rules of the game, moving to a five-round format. Mm. I thought I was doing a good thing for the fans. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Uh, to being persuaded by outside influences, <laughs> Ashbrook's amicus, uh, and crowd at the live show. Duncan has become yet another Republican judge to drift <laughs> leftward once on the court. <laughs> the program needs to invest in a demand justice style campaign to pressure Duncan into retiring as a judge and jury in order to preserve the sanctity of the game. In all seriousness, love the program and what y'all are doing for the conservative movement. I've turned friends, coworkers, and family onto the show and look forward to laughing along with every episode. Oh, uh, it's so good. Well, maybe we should cut. We should. That is like such a super fan. That's like great. The, the yeah. references. Oh, like it's they, so good. They nailed it. We should also contact Leonard Leo about a potential campaign because I feel like at some point. <laughs> You're going to try to retire me? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying that like it's necessary. I'm just saying maybe pressure. It's, it's, <laughs> maybe public pressure it, it, does mount it's here. It's Brian Fallon would have to hit up a demand justice if we wanted to judge. Yeah, but that guy's only good for jamming Supreme Court justices <laughs> down his throat one by one. Yeah. Uh, fan of the show. This is from Nancy from Texas. Another Megan Kelly listener discovered you. Your podcasts are pretty funny. Oh, I love this. Although sometimes I can only listen to you guys in small doses. Yeah, no, us too. 
<laughs> Us too. Enjoyed the State of the Union uh, watch along. Well, you know, look, that was that was fun. If you could get through that, by the way, the rest of the show seemed like uh, candy. Yeah, right. right. I mean, that was like a couple. I felt like forever. I mean, we were we were eating Big Macs. Yeah, uh, drinking bourbon and watching a TV, which everyone complained was too small. Yes, uh, they did. They did. They <laughs> I did. love. I, I mean, really, when I think about why we fight, it's like. For Nancy in Texas, who's like, I like you guys. I like the cut of your jib. It's just a bit much at times. <laughs> you know, I like to yeah. take a break, go back outside, hang out. Yeah, yeah. no, no, <laughs> and that's the right. That's the that's the right amount of 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 listening, right? right? Because I, yeah, we can overdo it. Oh, for sure. But we're not going to change. No, we'll we are change. what we are. <laughs> we are what we are. Uh, Smug, you want the third one? Yes, and I, I mean, I love this one so much. It is to be clear from Ariel One Twelve. It is time for us to review what we have always been reviewing, and that time is every day. Excellent <laughs> shout out! That's a Kamala to shout Veep out. Or Veep. Like, that is fantastic. Who could it be? So good. Oh so man! Good. All right, let's get right into it. Um, the Scotus hearing. Let me just tell you what bothered me the most about Wednesdays. Yes. Uh, actually, it was Tuesday. Tuesday and Wednesday. But it was also Wednesday. Yeah. So, so a chief critique of Judge Kintanji Brown Jackson has surfaced as her sentencing guidelines as it pertains to to pedophilia, child pornography, and, and a big misunderstanding from basically anybody who looks at her record as to how she came to the conclusions that she did based on what the sentencing guidelines were before her, right? A very serious issue. And these, this is, by any objective standard, a question worth belaboring. Right. Like, how in the world do you get to a point where you're sentencing people who are having caches of child, egregious child pornography to less than the governmental guideline? Not, not just less than the governmental guideline, less than the governmental guideline and less than what the prosecutor asked for. Yeah. Right? So you've and got... And by, like, orders of magnitude. We're not, like... The prosecutor asked for 92 months and you decided for 90. There, We had an instance where it was what, like the prosecutor was like 60 months and she was like, nah, three. Yeah, right? no, three. 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 Three months. Right? So these, I mean, these are very fair questions. This is not like out of bounds at all. It's definitely more in bounds than Brett Kavanaugh's yearbook. Oh, I Jesus. Can, I can tell you that. No, I think we should have senators like uh, Senator uh, Whitehouse who's like, what is boofing, sir? Yeah, yeah right. We have your, we have your yearbook. It's it says boofing. You and your friend talked about boofing. Yeah, what's and Kavanaugh's boofing? like? It, it means flatulence. And he's like, I think we need to have a separate hearing on this. This we need to get the bottom of boofing. <laughs> and I think it's pronounced white, and, and white it, club. White club, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh, right. And it's incredible that that's the standard. On one side, it's like, oh well, we can we can investigate yearbooks. We can have Michael Avenatti bring someone forward claiming that uh, uh, this guy Kavanaugh, who who like had the most decorated record of like, I mean, yeah. Listen, he's a nice guy, but he was an absolute nerd. All right, let's be serious. Let's like, be serious. All the dude did is like study books and shit. And to accuse this person of, of being gang a gang serial, rapist. Serial gang That rapist. he ran a gang rape ring. Right. Like Michael Avenatti's client. They Michael put, Avenatti, who's now like in jail. convicted uh-huh. of yeah. federal offenses. And, and they put her on national television. She was on Today's show. And, yeah, right. And, and, right. And, and, and she's and, and, and after the fact, uh, DOJ referral for criminal prosecution on her. By the way, I yeah. would point out that that that's how much the witch hunt uh, was on on Brett Kavanaugh. But the idea that that 
that this Wait a nominee. Minute. You can't look at what their uh, history of sentencing is. Right, right. That's yeah, just actually, recorded. Actually, her you record is a judge. That's so, a, so a, a recorded fact. Right. I want to play audio of the question that gave rise to all of this. Uh, this is Josh, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. One more thing on this, same idea. You said you were viewing, this is you to the defendant, you were div- you were viewing sex acts between children who were not much younger than you. And this whole discussion is about why you're only giving him three months. Judge, he was 18. These kids are eight. I don't see in what sense they're peers. I've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a 16-month-old at home. And I live in fear that they will be exposed to let alone exploited in this kind of material i don't understand you saying to him that they're peers and that therefore you you were viewing sex acts between children who are not much younger than you and that that's that's somehow a reason to only give him three months help me understand this senator i don't have the record of that entire case i mean okay um, you'd think that that first of all that that would be something she would become prepared for. I mean, right? And, it's, and it's, she it's, was, it's, it's, and she was, and, and she was. I assume it's a case she was involved with, right? <laughs> she, she, she was the judge. So, and I like mean, when she, Ted Cruz brought that chart out, where he ha- he listed numerous, numerous of these like pedophile sentencing guidelines, what the prosecutor asked for, and how much less she sentenced by magnitudes. Right. Like, this is not like, oh, you know, a month or two less. It was way, like, uh, uh, there was this incredible exchange uh, that Holly had where, she, I mean, I mean, she just threw in the towel, where she stopped answering. Where he was like, I think prosecutors recommended 92 months, and you gave 56. Can you explain to me why you did? And she just, like, wouldn't answer. Yeah. She's it's like, just I like already it, answered. It got to bad. that point. Well, let's play, let's play one more piece of audio before we get into this. This is Senator Tom Cotton around the same point. Should the United States strengthen or weaken sentences for child pornographers? Senator, that's not a simple question. Oh, it's a pretty simple question, actually. It's a pretty simple question. It's a pretty simple question. And, and, and the problem, what he was getting at, is that she was legislating from the bench. Right. You hear a lot of, yes. of critiques from conservatives about liberal justices is that they supplant the legislative view, the elected representatives of the people of this country, and they make laws based on what they're sent there to do. And then sometimes it gets before a liberal judge. And a lib- the liberal judge supplants the views that have been enacted into law with their own personal views. Right. In this case, sentencing guidelines that have been handed down by federal law right. that she has taken upon herself to say are not applicable and, 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 to the exact circumstance that they were key. created. That's very key. This is, this is not an isolated event. It's very important to note, you've seen across this country, uh, left-wing dark money group, have backed these district attorneys because they know voters don't want to say, right. oh, you know what, uh, let the pedophiles right. out, you know, super early or defund the police. So they have to go around they find, the legislative they, process. They, they find undemocratic workarounds to achieve their policy objectives. The same way that you just described, Holmes, not just the Soros thing, but also, Holmes, when you described, uh, you know, what she's doing here with these guidelines. It's they like have to get DAs what and the, judges. W- the they, American people elected 
these representatives to pass laws. They passed a law, and then she gets to decide, somebody who was not elected gets to decide, you know what, all those rules that the people voted for, they don't matter anymore. No, I'm, I'm the judge. I'm the judge, so yeah. now I get to decide. Which is the chief critique of liberalism. For those of you who don't follow this extremely closely, like all of us have, the chief critique of liberalism is it's outcome-based, and that you're only the sympathetic party... Mm-hmm. If the judge all of a sudden decides that you're the sympathetic party, the law be damned, the the rules be damned. If you if you get into some kind of a legal conflict with the government or with another individual, and it becomes before the Supreme Court, what people like Judge Kintanji Brown say is that we're going to find the most sympathetic party here, and the outcome that I feel is just. That's it may very well be the one that presides, and that's the way I Yeah, and the law be damned. The law be damned. The law be damned. Like, despite the fact that there may be absolute, clear, and present, egregious breaking of the law that has led to this case in the first place. And and what this gets to, and, and it's a hard thing to get to in the Supreme Court confirmation hearings, is a judicial philosophy. That's right. That's it. Right? That's like it. it is an activist philosophy of how you're going to be a judge. There, there, it's very common for people who are before the United States Senate in these confirmation hearings to be evasive in their answers. What we have found through this issue about these, these sentencing guidelines for pedophiles and stuff is actually a window into the way that she rules as a judge. And that's the important thing. That's the important thing. Because these liberal judges look in a mirror and they see the law. They think they are right. the law. And yes. you know who confirms that? The media. If you watch the coverage of her responses to these Republican questions, the media is taking the side of her. Yep. They, they, are, they are without question. They are saying Republicans shouldn't be asking these difficult questions. Let's let's take a look at the case. And I have looked at the case. This is my analysis on on her ruling. And you know what? She makes a lot of sense in what she's done here. So they take her side reflexively rather than just saying, like, here's a controversial case that she was involved with and saying that, like, Democrats are having a hard time explaining her views and her rulings on these controversial cases, and Republicans are taking, uh, are, are attacking her on this, rather than just stepping back. And, and stating the facts. And so, st- right. So there are two things I want to go into there. So uh, number one, uh, when you said that, like, the media is, is running cover for her, is there's this idea that they've pushed since day one of they're like, this is an historic moment. We have the first black woman nominated. It's always a historic moment when it's a Democrat. And that's the thing is because they will not bring up the fact that Joe Biden himself filibustered and stopped a black woman. Janice Rogers Brown. Let's say her name. Say her name. And, 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 And they played a part in stopping that from happening. Right? Right. No, no, no. They didn't want that to happen. They didn't just play a part. He stopped Personally. Joe Biden personally. personally stopped Janice Rogers Brown from becoming a Supreme Court nominee. And and, and, personally. and, and then what they tried to uh, push back with is like she was she was a, a, a radical, which is to to say that she was a normal person. It's all fucking fake. And yeah. she set a record for being elected in the state of California by seventy three percent. Also, not really like, that that controversial. I mean, look, she had I love me. I love me a conservative activist judge just because you know that's the way that I like to th- see things go down. 
she was not one of them. The, the, I, she I, was not. There is no, like, this was a person who practiced judicial restraint throughout. They had nothing. They had zip, zero, and, nothing. And, but they so, talk about, they talk about. That's why they were so scared of her. They, they, yeah. they, they, they talk about um, lived experience and that we needed a, a black woman who reflected our, our belief in an America that isn't this white patriarchal world. You know, Janice Rogers Brown, uh, her father was a sharecropper. She was raised by her grandmother. She was a single mother herself who put herself through school, and they filibustered her. Yep, they filibustered she wasn't her. good. At, she wasn't good enough. Nor was she historic. Right, it wasn't historic. Not not because she hadn't overcome all this incredible diversity and in being a black woman in America who'd accomplished so much and been given so little. None of that was enough. It's only enough if you tow the Democrat line. Yeah, where do you stand on Roe v. Wade? That's the only way. Where do you stand on Roe v. Wade? Only then are you historic. Only then are you worthy of being on the United States Supreme Court in the eyes of Joe Biden and these fucking people. And and so so, uh, uh, what I also want to touch on is when we're discussing judicial philosophy. So uh, Senator Grassley, huge friend of the program, and a personal one of my favorite senators, during the hearing said, since you haven't yet developed a judicial philosophy, what else should we look at? She was asked, do you have a judicial philosophy? She's like, no. She said, my philosophy is my methodology. Look at cases impartially. Understand limited role of judges. Mm. This is someone who's changed every sentence in guidelines. She's trying to have it both ways. Right, right, right. Trying to have it both ways. Number one is like, I have no judicial philosophy. Does not believe that essentially there's a precedent. I have to follow these guidelines. And then when she's asked, well, well, uh, why did you sentence this individual? She says, oh, well, Congress decides how much to sentence them. She won't bring up that she gave three months. Yeah, right. but she changed these guidelines. Uh-huh. I mean, right. here's the thing. I don't think she's particularly well prepped because, honestly, she's a very charming woman. Right. If, right. You were to spend, is- if you were to spend 10 minutes in the room with this judge, you would like her a lot. She's but- a very charming person. She's a... She's a probably an easy to get along with personality what the problem is is her ideology is not reflected in her personality it's reflected in her decisions it's reflected in what she has done with both both her judicial career and her career outside of that which reflects somebody of deep ideology of somebody with extreme views that somehow now she doesn't want to talk about or doesn't remember or doesn't have the caseload. Like, how is it that you can send a, a sexual predator, you can minimize their sentence to three months and then not remember the case? Oh, dude, that's exactly, that's exactly the point. You, and, and, and if anybody asks, hey, you let this pedophile off a little easy, the New York Times calls you QAnon. That's well, the so thing. Is here I, we get, I, that, this is, this is what blows me up. This, this is what blows this. me up. And I know Smug is going to be all over this. This is, I literally last night was in a furor. You were going ham, dude. <laughs> I was in a furor because Jonathan Weissman at the New York Times and whoever reported the goddamn story, I don't know who this was, but they have no business reporting anything with the judiciary, takes the mere questioning of her sentencing guidelines and associates it with QAnon. Let me just read you a passage. Along similar lines, Republican contended the nominee has been especially lenient on purveyors of sexual abuse imagery, a claim that spoke to a fixation of those wedded to QAnon conspiracy (laughs) theory. It's fucking unbelievable. What in the flying fuckatash 
is that? That's How li- did that make it past an editor? That's the liberal media at work. I mean, if you aren't allowed to ask a basic question to a Supreme Court nominee about a controversial decision they made and expect an answer that is fulsome that they've prepared for for six, seven, eight, nine, ten days... I mean, I, I don't even know where I don't even know where to begin with that. The media is so corrupt; it is it's not worth reading. It is not worth reading. It is an absolute trash bin. The fact of the matter is, the QAnon thing has always been a cudgel, which the mainstream media wants to appropriate upon the Republican Party, sure, as a way of discrediting every argument conservatives make, right? And this is, to be honest, this is this is a group of of socially uh, like completely disconnected people who believe that like JFK's uh, assassination was somehow giving yeah, life stuff. to. I mean, it's insane like so, so it should be a mental hospital, right? Right, right? This has nothing to do with sentencing guidelines for his person who is nominated to the Supreme Court. Right, right, right. It's fucking sure, right. But unbelievable. But you asked, you, you you raised a point. You said I don't think she's very well prepared for this. Do you want anybody want to guess why she didn't feel like she needed to be very well? Yeah, because prepared it's, for it's this? an historic moment and demand justice. Kick Breyer out. Wanted her. She's the handpicked candidate. So so a story just hit uh, the New York Times. Uh, from from Jonathan Weissman, uh, where he says uh, Republican senators who have criticized Judge Ketanji Jackson for her approach to sentencing child sexual abuse defendants offenders have focused on a single case from 2013 in which they argue she was inappropriately lenient on a teenager who pleaded guilty. This is how this is this is they think a defense. They think this is a defense. They say in 2012, Wesley Hawkins, an 18 year old who was then in high school, started downloading pornographic images from the internet. It says, a gay boy from a religious family that strongly disapproved of homosexuality. Mr. Hawkins was driven by a kind of curiosity about the images, and his connection to the people in them seemed, his lawyer said, to be one of identifying rather than exploiting. They are really trying to say we have to sympathize with people... who are taking part? Like so this, this is a is, Pete this, Williams take, this right? Is, this is the this is from, this is, this is from the, the New York point. Times. Yeah. They're saying you but, but are also echoed if it, you're disgusted by you, child sex what, predators, and this is what they're pushing. What you have hit on is the key point. They've taken it upon themselves to play defense. They've played the role that Jen Psaki and her team are not, uh, you know, willing or interested in playing or whatever, capable of playing. They are playing political defense for a Democrat nominee rather than just reporting what happens in the committee. Yeah. No, well, but the, the problem is, and the reason that I said it was a Pete Williams take, I didn't even know it was the New no, York that's, Times. It's what he said. It's because time. I heard him on NBC News say the exact same thing. Here's the problem. When you have multiple corporate media outlets saying the exact same thing that makes absolutely no sense in the world, it's because it comes from talking points. Right, right. And that's what everybody's doing here. Yeah, they're trying to smear. I couldn't believe when I heard multiple members of the United of, of the media talking about QAnon. Are you fucking kidding me? I, I, what does that have to do with so, any of this? I, this is how they do it. This is how they do it. And so if we have bl- in black and white, we have facts. We have legal documents showing how lenient this judge was towards you know predators who preyed upon children we we have statements of fact they're saying oh that's QAnon the same way that they're like 
oh, Hunter Biden laptop, that's disinformation. Right. They know they have such a monopoly on the media and what's allowed to be part of the discourse that they don't even feel like they have to defend themselves. They don't have, you know, something as disgusting as as, as trying to defend, uh, in that New York Times article, trying to defend the reasoning for someone to be involved in child pornography, which is what they're trying to do, folks. Trying to defend that, but they can't. It's indefensible. So they have to say, hey, wait. It's outside the discourse. This is not allowed. But where is where is the adult? Where is the editor who says, "You know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna spill all this ink on defending the pedophile. What we're going to do is we're going to you know this is the New York Times. We're going to put the Democrats quote first. Democrats yeah, say, yeah, we're, we're very gonna, proud of the we're, way we're she handled it today. We're usually more guarded about this. We're very proud of the way she handled it today. Republicans." Republicans are Republicans attacked on this issue. Democrats said, "Oh, that's bunk because vex." Republicans said, "Why?" End of story. Like, yeah. W- what's why? Why not just write it like that? Well, my my favorite though, and it's one that you seized upon, Duncan. He seized. You seized. That's how you know I Duncan's seized. a conservative. And you pounced. And you pounced because I, you know. I fight. Was CNN's Jeffrey Tubin? Yes. Who. He decided to take to the airwaves of CNN and talk about how this is about appealing to QAnon. Yeah, he said it's it's about appealing to the QAnon audience. And this is a guy, a, a complete sexual deviant who knocked up his colleague's daughter, pressured to <laughs> according, get an According to the New York Post. This is, the, these are facts. Yeah. Uh, knocked up his colleague's daughter, pressured her to get an abortion, and masturbated on a Zoom is now back on national and these television. are all facts these, these are facts these are facts. <laughs> these are facts talking about how pedophilia is a QAnon. uh-huh uh, play, asking questions about sentencing guidelines yeah on pedophilia yeah, i don't is a think QAnon he's phenomenon. i don't think he's the best analyst to describe whether sexual deviants got light or harsh sentences i mean to who be else other than the ruthless variety program is telling you this right you know and this guy's mean? on fucking national television yeah he, he's the authority on the matter it's unbelievable. We've got uh, one more piece of audio from Tom Cotton uh, that is an important line of questioning that the media has completely ignored. Judge Jackson, before you granted this fentanyl kingpin's motion to reduce his sentence, did you contact any of the victims from his case? Senator, thank you for allowing me to address Mr. Young's situation. I asked a simple question. Did you contact the victims in his case or not? Senator, Mr. Young was not released. His sentence was reduced and I did not contact the victims in and his case. So, so what he's talking about there, that was an issue of a heroin trafficker that his sentences was reduced. And what she said there when asked about whether they contacted the victims in order to reduce that sentencing guideline, which is commonly done by the government, by the way, she said there were no victims of fentanyl, fentanyl trafficking. Right. Which I, I think didn't become the leading cause of death among Americans 18 to 49 last yes, year. Yes, it did. There's no victims. It's a victimless crime, man, being a, a, being a fentanyl kingpin. I mean— I just I, I literally this is an ideological nomination. Right. This is just it is what it is. There is no oh she's qualified. I mean listen, here's the thing is this is uh, I am shocked and appalled and disappointed Holmes that you are trying to uh, stop this and historic moment. <laughs> just because she thinks that Fentanyl Kingpin is he, he committed a victimless, it's a victimless crime. crime. And just because, you know, someone downloaded a lot of child porn 
the you know you have to sympathize with that individual and give them only three months. Why would you stop this and well, it, it is it is I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed. But let me let me just say uh, this is my last point on all this. We are in this situation with rising crime, with lenient sentences, with failure to prosecute, with an attack on law enforcement for a reason. The reason is that the far left in this country has maintained an ideology that has a strict hold on people like this nominee that actually believe that something matters beyond the law, that beyond the facts of the case. And what that something is, is whether or not their ideology believes that that person has been somehow marginalized in society. That somehow this is a, a case that we deserve more leniency towards simply because of who they are. That is not the way American jurisprudence works. That is not the way the law works. That's not the way that anything in this country, it is a law and order country. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. And if you're worried and wondering why it is that your communities are at increased risk of crime, it's because of shit like this, right? And you ought to get on board with opposing this nominee. Frankly, I don't know if she's going to be confirmed. Everybody tells us, yes, she's going to be confirmed and there's going to be Republicans that might vote for her. I think it's a travesty. I had I had someone uh, tweet me yesterday when when she made that statement about fentanyl, saying that they had a friend who's seventeen who died of an OD. Mm. Yeah, man, wow. that's not a victimless crime. Everybody does. Everybody knows. I mean, look, opioids hit every community in this country. I mean, seventeen like th- and it shouldn't these, have these are, to take every kids. They got their whole life in front of them. It it's shouldn't being have trafficked to take into this country. And and to to say it's a victimless crime is just, I mean, that's not just appalling and disgusting. It's just that'd be appalling and disgusting if if one of us said it. If it was just some you know a, a random person, we're talking about someone who's going to be on the Supreme Court for life. Yeah, yeah. And you're also wondering, I'm sure, why it is that every liberal justice that's ever been confirmed votes in block, and why conservatives have nuanced views. It's because conservative jurisprudence dictates facts law and constitution sometimes that comes down in places you don't want it to come down i regret that it sucks i wish that wasn't the case but that's what conservative legal philosophy dictates these guys are all outcome based she is the definition of an outcome based judge that's right and it is i'm sorry i get so fired up about this but they ought to oppose her with everything they've got i'm that's a very, very important thing is, is the judicial philosophy when you think um, the difference between what conservatism and what liberalism offers. Liberals try to push the outcome idea while conservatives try to push the opportunity idea, which it, if you think about you give everyone you know the same start for the race is, is basically what conservatism means is, all right, everyone gets the same starting point and let's see what you do. Whereas liberalism is based, especially horrific when it's coming from a judge, unaccountable to voters, uh, they want to decide the outcome. They yeah. want to pick the winners and the losers. Yeah. It's, it's stunning. It is. All right. You guys want to talk potatoes for a minute? <laughs> and this isn't about Stelter. 
This is not about Brian Stelter. Wait, that's not. Yeah, stunningly. It's not. But I actually feel like it has a tie-in to Judge Kadanji. <laughs> I love how this is like sneaky on target. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a giant New Zealand potato mm-hmm. was ruled by the Guinness Book of World Records as a, a world record large potato. They have since rescinded that. It's been stripped of the title. Yeah, The Guardian reports a New Zealand couple who believed that they had dug up the world's largest potato in their garden in a small farm near Hamilton have uh, had their dreams turned to mash. Oh, nice. I like after, that. Yeah. <laughs> Good pun. After, after the Guinness uh, wrote that the scientific testing and found, in fact, it was not a potato after all. Craig Colin, uh, Colin Craig Brown, who first uh, hit the tuber... With a, I, this is such classic. This uh, is, uh, did I love journalism? I don't even have <laughs> any idea writing. how to read it. It's so British. Hit the um, tuba with a hoe. The tuba, hit the tuba with a hoe last August uh, when gardening with his wife, Donna. Uh, it looked and tasted like a potato. In fact, it wasn't a potato. So they've come to test the potato. I, I mean, this is this is such an incredible story. So it says, after months of submitting photos and paperwork, the couple got the bad news from Guinness in an email last week. Dear Colin, the email begins, going on to say, quote, sadly, the specimen is not a potato and is, in fact, the tuber of a type of gourd. For this reason, we do, unfortunately, have to disqualify the application. I'm sorry. In fact, it's it's not. I mean, it's this not, is not. It's not a potato at all. This is. <laughs> it's actually. It's actually a gourd. Absolute bullshit. What's her name that runs New Zealand? Uh, the uh, lady. Everyone's like, Yacinta she's a girl boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does she not decide that? You know, Desantis overrule it. Desantis knows. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> I can make these calls. I decide it. who wins. Overrule right? it. She should make, she should step in. She's like, I define. I'm sorry. This, I'm, I, I can't believe. I can't, I can't I, I cannot, believe it. I don't, I don't stand for this bullshit left wing definition. <laughs> I love the Guinness people. I'm sorry. That's not a potato at all. It's, in fact, it's a kind of type of tuna. It's unbelievable. It's, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. No, I feel like that's, a, that's like a Hugh, a Hugh uh, Grant yeah, type, yeah, right. type deal, right? <laughs> uh, but in fact, it's not, right? So, um, which leads me to ask the question. Is there any other uh, sporting can events? Can you define a potato? Have <laughs> there been any other sporting <laughs> events? What is a potato? That we can actually define what creates some a competitor or not. I'm not a farmer, <laughs> Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a potato is. <laughs> it feels like Guinness is drawing a harder line than the NCAA. Isn't that something? Doesn't it? Unbelievable! Isn't that something? Just an incredible. Well, anyway, it's a, it's quite an impressive gourd, nonetheless. It looks massive. It's sitting on a cart. You should see the the, the one question that I have about this situation is 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 they say that the couple who found it they tried some of it and it was it was it was a good mash, as if it was like mashed potatoes. But if it was gourd, so like, what the hell is this that tastes like mashed potatoes? I mean, they did not answer this they at all they in the article. <laughs> They're like, here are the arguments, folks. No one talks about how it tasted like mashed potatoes. And then they sent in a specimen after they had the mashed potatoes. Like, how big is this goddamn thing? I'm so sorry. I understand. It's like I understand. mystery they little... thing they dug up tastes like mashed potatoes. What a wild story. A touch of sour cream and a little bit of cheese. And perhaps, perhaps it does taste like a I mean, potato. it's wild. Like, what do you find in your garden that's like, we can't even eat the whole thing in one sitting for mashed potatoes for two. Must be a beast. <laughs> Last thing I want to hit here, and I don't even know if we have sound for this, but I, I want to hit 
the the West Wing situation. Oh man. Did you guys see this that Americans think that West Wing is the most realistic political TV show in the country? I mean, I just don't I just don't fucking believe it. No, I I no sincerely I do not believe it. My guess, so, you know, I always wish I could look into the polling methodology. I feel like they must not have called landlines. Like, th- this was going just, this must be, like, responses received on TikTok. Like, get a fucking grip. Like, who the hell thinks that West Wing? I just, w- I think this is navel-gazing bullshit. Like, what I'm saying is, like, if you look at House of Cards, the West Wing, Veep, whatever, o- other political prestige dramas and comedies yeah like who is actually consuming all of that information it's an incredibly small subset of the american population so the idea that you could you could actually commission a poll that would be statistically significant of people who've not only watched the west wing yes but watched veep watched house of cards and can can actually accurately describe which one is the most realistic is in infinitesimally small. None of this is st- statistically significant, in my opinion. Well, no, so so here's what it is to me. And for those of us who read polls for a living, I can tell you this shows up all the time. When you ask the average American what their their number one priority is, healthcare is always in like one, two, or three in the last four years. The healthcare component of it is like 95% Democratic. Yeah. Right. So in this case, I think when you get the majority, I mean, we're still only talking, we're 51%, right? I guarantee you that the people who watch all these shows, 51% comes like 95%. No, I get it. I get it. What I'm suggesting, however, is that 80% of the people that they called were like, why are you psychopaths asking me about these shows? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a fair point you know what i mean super fair point it's like yes of that 20 percent the the nine percent that are registered democrats 8.5 percent said the west wing is how politics works yeah oh, you totally. know what I mean? but i mean it's eight percent were in the white house right <laughs> even for them it just the idea that the conversations between Jen Psaki and Joe Biden are anything like what Martin Sheen and and uh, Allison Janney would talk about on a regular basis preposterous preposterous absolutely preposterous listen fellas it's short and sweet let's get right to our interview with Mike Cernovich I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy and one of the things that I've found through doing Ruthless is people come from all different sides of the party and all all different sides of the movement of conservatives across this country. And you don't really know them until you get to a chance to talk to them and listen to them. And you might always find, at least I do, there's something really interesting and compelling about each and every one of these people. And, and one of these people that I've gotten to know a little bit, at least online, over the last couple of years is Mike Cernovich. Cerno, welcome to the program. Thank you. My pleasure. Listen, man, uh, let's just start at the very, very beginning, right? So you are obviously an extremely influential person on the right throughout the conservative community, particularly online. You have a huge following. People listen to what you want to say, and and it has been compelling over the years. You've, you've got driven 
movements. Um, I guess where I want to start with, how'd you get into it? You know, honestly, um, accidentally, which <laughs> is, yeah, I have, I have a weird uh, life as a zigzag kind of arc where I was super obsessed with politics as a little kid. It was like the Alex P. Keaton kid. Really? Oh, yeah. As a little kid, I was obsessed. I would read the Wall Street Journal. I actually had a janitorial job with my grandma and we would go clean this foundry, now defunct foundry up. And I would see the Wall Street Journal and check the stock market. At the time, it was like the Dow was 5,000 points or something, right? Maybe lower than that. And I was like Alex P. Keaton type for a while. And then I was probably still that way until about, I don't know, 17 or 18 or so. And then I just went on a major kick of, all right, like you need to figure life out. I was actually thinking about the other day how surreal it is because I'm older now, I'm 44 you're 18 and you're kind of told, all right, you got to go to college or you got to go do this. And just, you're off to life. You're off to the races, get out of the house. And how just bizarre it is to, especially now you have kids, you think, wait a minute, this kid is going to be an adult. Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Get get out of here. Right. And, but that was, that's the culture, right? You're 18 and you got to go figure out life one way or another. And I said, okay, I, I'll go to college. I was in the National Guard. I joined the National Guard when I was, it was called Split Ops. So I I joined when I was still in high school. So the summer before my senior year in high school, I was at Fort Sill, Oklahoma doing basic training. Mm -hmm. And that was a funny experience because you know how when you're in high school and the teachers yell at you, you're like afraid as a kid. And then you come back from basic training and, and you're just kind of like laughing and you don't want to be disrespectful, but you're just like, hey, Mr. Math teacher, you're who's throwing a eraser in the trash because you're frustrated. You're like, this is just not intimidating anymore for me. Right. And so that was a very uh, a pivotal moment in my life, I think, just because you learn. I was, another thing I think about a lot, too, is how you like when you go into basic training and I'm sure everybody will say it's easy now or whatever, but it was it was pretty hard back then. You, you think you want to like quit. You think it's really, really hard. And then you get through it and you think, oh, that wasn't nothing. And so I started thinking about the limitations that we impose on ourselves, right? Because mm-hmm. I wasn't a physically impressive person necessarily. I mean, I played high school football, but I wasn't, you know, with some kind of physical beast. And you realize like millions of people go through the military pipeline, pretty out of shape, just a typical kid wasting time playing Final Fantasy video games. And in eight weeks, you come out pretty strong and you realize, okay, because you're just telling yourself, oh, I got to quit. This is too hard. That's something that I kind of took with me, not just the physical part, but the mental part. So then I'm like, okay, I got to figure out all this other stuff. And then I just was like, okay, I'm going to go to college. I want to be a chiropractor. You know, that whole thing. You don't know what you want to do, but the clock starts ticking. Right. Tick, 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 choose a major. And if you choose the wrong major, well, now you just wasted a year. Tick, tick, tick. So everything's like tick, tick, tick. I kind of know how that feels, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you get older and you realize the most interesting people in the world have had multiple careers. Right. But where, like, I never, when I was a kid, thought, you know what I want to do? I want to do talk radio, which is essentially what Twitter is. It's talk radio for introverts. And or I'm going to do podcasts. I never, it was never an aspiration for me. And then you went, you know, you end up here through all these things. So then I did 
law school, did legal stuff. Then I started mindset stuff. I have a whole career with a mindset book that sold really well that actually I retired off of. Funnily enough, people say people have all these like conspiracy theories about like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, dude, I got lucky. Um, and I admit that I got lucky because people don't buy books anymore. Good luck. Um, good luck selling a book unless you're calling Trump a traitor or something, you know, it's uh, right. really hard slog. <laughs> That's that why people are like, a hot market, by the way. <laughs> no, it's a really hot market. I looked at what Mary Trump's book, which was really stupid, sold. And I think the first week it was five or six million copies. And I thought, man, I need to just write a book on how the Russians approached me to get Trump on their <laughs> payroll and then call it a confessional and just make, you know, make it up. And you find vacation out. homes, right? Yeah, man, because you, it, even if you're a popular, you know, and I'm a semi-popular guy, if you write a book, you're, people just don't care anymore. People are just not going to buy it or, or nor, not at the level they used to. So I, I was the last person to kind of cash out and get good book money because I self-published it and, and that was a new novel. So Am or a new model. So Amazon would aggressively promote self-published authors to all of Amazon. Mm -hmm. So let's say you had 10,000 people who wanted to buy your book. Amazon would see 10,000 orders coming in that first week or two, and then they would recommend it to everybody on Amazon who was in that demographic for that book. Mm. So then your reach is, you know, 10x or whatever. That's until they found out what you were saying, right? Well, well, the mindset book is very not political. People have called it like a, some, I read a, uh, a review called it a pickup artist guy. And I was like, dude, there's nothing in there about girl. It's not that at all. It's just a, a a straight like mindset book, but yeah, you do get red flagged as a prohibited author. So even if your book is like, that's what happened with the movie hoax that I did the movie hoax I made for the censors. I was like, there's literally nothing in here censorable. And then Amazon of all places banned the movie, but they didn't ban the book hoaxed, which was just the transcripts of everything from the movie. So the transcripts were actually offensive in some parts and the book doesn't get banned, but the movie does because you get triggered on some kind of algorithm as a, a prohibited person. So in 2015, and I remember all this stuff vividly, I was like living off of book money. Um, before that, I had done affiliate marketing. So I actually had a juicing cookbook, essentially a cookbook, juicing recipes. With yeah, affiliate. I was going to say, that's part of your charm, right? Is that you've got like a wide array of interests. Right, right. So whatever, I, I just figured out how to monetize interests. And, you know, you can write like a review. Again, the world has changed because of Google's algorithm change and everything. But say like in 2011, when I really started doing this internet stuff, you could write a review like, which is better, Blendtec or Vitamix? And like, you're smart enough to do that. Like, you know, if you're smart enough to do legal stuff, you can write the in and ins and outs of blenders, you know, you just feel like it's beneath you, which is another thing that I don't have that I used to have is like things are beneath. Well, I would never write juicing reviews. And I was like, well, I made $50 every time someone bought a blender. And so I don't know, is that, is that beneath you when you can just go to the gym and hang out with your girlfriend and travel and write a two or three reviews a week. And it was just like cha-ching. So I figured out how to, to do the marketing aspect, right? How to make things look pretty, how to make things informative and engaging and really optimized for SEO. So I, that, so even before the big mindset book came in, I was living off of internet money 
from juicing recipes. So amazing. I had no, that's actually brand new. I did not know that. Yeah, it's wild, right? So that, that, that's probably why when I started doing politics, a lot of people were like, who, who he came from out of nowhere. Like, how did he do this? It's like, dude, it's just a, a formula. If you can write reviews on a blender and not see that as beneath you, which is a psychological barrier, right? The psychological barrier is that, well, I'm a fancy person and I'm not going to be a vulgar person who does essentially use car sales tactics. And it's like, well, it's not, you're just people are looking for information. And like, if you order a head, I saw so I had headphones, I would, like you're wearing headphones. Um, so I would be like, oh, the Sennheiser, you know, model headphones compared to the, the Sony MCX headphones. And people, there was a lot of money in that at one point. So I had headphone reviews, any kind of product review that had uh, a good affiliate. And that was um, higher, so higher ticket. Your entire introduction into internet advocacy was product reviews. Yep. Wow. Okay. No, I didn't know that. I didn't right. Know. And that's, and that's why I was so good at when I came about because my marketing, my background was reading books on marketing, reading books on persuasion, reading books on attention, reading books on how you can, and I read all this stuff in law school and storytelling, sem, you know, Jerry Spence, I've gone to his seminars. I'm a big seminar goer um, person too. So I've done a lot of seminars for everything from how to tell a story to how to deal with your own emotions to, you know, finding that depth within you. Yeah. So for me, it's just like politics is another form of marketing, which is so I'm 2015 and I'm in a cafe and it's, it's like the douchiest thing in the world. I'm in a cafe in Paris doing my two hours of writing for the day, waiting for my girlfriend or you know, our fiance to come so we can look go to the Louvre. And then I see this Donald Trump guy surface. And then I think, hmm, who's Donald Trump? Don't really know. I, I, I came into politics and probably that's why I did so well is I didn't know anything. Because I had that early interest where I was really political. And then in my early 20s, no more of that stuff. So there's like this 15-year gap. And then so I'm kind of like politically a virgin, you know, born-again virgin. So all I knew is I watched season one of The Apprentice during law school with Donald Trump because it was a thing that law school people would do. Oh, it's Wednesday night. We'll all watch The Apprentice. And that was it. So I knew I was just walking around and I saw if it feels supernatural at the time I was walking late at night in Paris, cause you could do this back then. And I saw what looked like fire coming from a newsstand and it was all the Donato's yellow hair on the whole booth. <laughs> and then I would go on Twitter and kind of tweet out like, yeah, how do people not think Trump is you know, probably going to take this thing? And, and that's just your observation. You're like, he's everywhere. Of course, the people yeah. are following him. Yeah. Of course, the ceiling is at 3%. I thought that Cruz would somehow do a coup at the RNC because I knew from a lawyer how smart Cruz was. Right. So I'm a Cruz respecter because I would actually read his articles that he wrote for the Cato Constitutional Review. You know, I know who all those people were. I met them all. And so I was like, well, I mean, Cruz is so much smarter than Trump. Like, it's going to be Cruz or Trump in the primary. And then immediately I'm called a moron. Cernovich, stick to mindset and go into the gym. And the people call me juice, bro. That was actually um, a nickname. Yeah. Which could be that determined is. as like anabolic steroids or green juice. That's why people liked it. It was a little of both. Or your blender reviews. You know, that's, why, that's what it was for. Yeah. yeah. And so they, 
called me juice, bro. Like they're like stick to juicing recipes, juice, bro, green juice, bro. Right. And so then I just got mad and I was like, how do you people not see this? Like you might not think he's going to win, but how do you get 3% with the hundred percent name recognition? How, you know, that 3% ceiling people forget all this, right? right. I, it's fresh to me because that was re-entering a new world. And I, I would just say, well, how do you get 3% ceiling when you have a hundred percent saturation? Maybe you think he'll hit 20. Maybe you think he'll hit 40. Maybe you'll think as I did that Ted Cruz is, Ted Cruz is so smart that he'll just figure out some procedural way to gum up your candidacy, right? But how do you get 3%? So I was like triggered. And then the more people called me stupid, it like sucked me in from this idyllic life of I would wake up, walk to this cafe. I was doing intermittent fasting. I would drink pour over coffee and a carat, you know, pour over coffee. Then I would have a egg quiche. It was just this idyllic <laughs> dream life. Wrote for two to four hours a day and made money every time somebody bought a juicer or headphones or a book or whatever. And I wasn't, you know, making millions, but I was making a nice life and I wasn't called all these horrible things. And I didn't go through that whole. And then you decided to dive into the middle of it. Is it basically you were provoked? Yeah, I was just tweeting pretty, what I thought anodyne observations that if you have a hundred percent name saturation, then at the very least, you know, just figure the world, in any issue, you have you know you have twenty percent of people who are always going to believe something horrific, right. right? So let's say you think Donald Trump is a horrific person. Okay, well then he's got twenty percent. So if you say three, you're just you don't know anything. You don't understand anything. You can say that he's going to hit a twenty percent ceiling, and that now we can at least have an argument, right? But if you're saying three percent, okay, we there's nothing really to talk about, right? And then and then you're going to call me the idiot, right? And then you're going to like insult me when on this stuff. So wait, hold on. Okay. Let, me, let me pause you there. So so your entryway back into politics here is just making observations about real life. It's not particularly ideological in one way or another. You're just you're just saying, like, look, this guy is appearing everywhere and there's just no way that what you're saying about him evaporating from a primary field is true. You're attacked for it. And now you're like, OK, now I'm in. Yeah, there's, I got involuntarily drafted into the culture. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 so, and then the problem is once you start writing things, you get smeared. And then once they smear you, you're kind of like the scarlet letter. So then you can't leave. So the whole as much as the left hates me, if they hadn't just smeared me so much, that's like, well, I can't go away because then that that's where the narrative ends. Like if you people had just let me tweet for a little bit. And not try to destroy my life and, and make it so that you know, I'd be making movies or something, something else. Dude, I would be smoking a cigar, you know, laying around in Thailand. I'd be in a beach with my wife. I would literally be in Paris or Thailand or the Greek Isles or Argentina. Yeah, you're like, not this Argentina. time, though. No, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you people, you made me do this. I always tell them these like shit lib liberals, I, the, the reporters. I was like, you people made me do this. I don't want to be here. Just forget that I exist. And I promise you, if you can go like a couple months and just leave me alone, I promise you that I will go away. And they're like, no, we're going to call you even like more worse. And then, of course, the funny thing is this happened to Trump and it happens to kind of everybody. Eventually, they call you so many terrible things mm. that the incongruency between what they're saying and who you are just doesn't match. So yeah. it's one thing to say, like, you're a scumbag or you're this or that. And people are like, yeah, I can kind of see that. It's another thing to say, well, I mean, you're the 
you know, the second coming of Hitler and Putin rolled into one person. And then people go, well, I don't know. I mean, so then they disregard everything. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just, so in a way, the worst thing the media can do that what it says effective is just have something that is on target and is congruent with what people see. And you can sideline that person pretty good. But if you go tactically nuclear on like a stay at home dad with a couple of kids, you know, biracial family, whatever, it just doesn't, just doesn't work anymore. So that's where they went wrong with Trump too, is they, you know, there's a lot of things on him that were problematic, right? Even if you like the guy, you're like, well, what was up with Trump university? You can come up with a lot of things. Sure. And, but no, 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 they couldn't do that. They had to make it so Russia architecture. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, it doesn't really, and that's something else you learn in marketing, product marketing. So if you tell people, like, I know the headphones you're wearing, they're very good headphones. But if you tell people, these are the most amazing, greatest headphones, then it's like, no, they're not. They're, they're like a mid-tier, this is a headphone. If you do a podcast, it's a good podcast. If you're a real audiophile, there's that you, you, you lose the market, right? So you have to be kind of on brand. So Toyota doesn't say it's a Rolls Royce, right? Because right. that would destroy the brand because then nobody would buy Toyota because they would say, well, you're just such a liar that you can't even be trusted. And, and that's, that's just marketing. You learn that right away. Okay. You want to, you want to hype a product, but if you treat it as a categorically different than what it is, you actually harm it more than help it. So that's, yeah. so, so that in your view is sort of what the media became, right? right. Hyping a product to the point of absolute incongruity with the truth. Right. And that's why they evolved from hit pieces to getting, you know, platformed because it used to be, I mean, think about it. If you, if you watch the movie, get me Roger Stone um, or know the backstory, Roger Stone was essentially driven out of DC because of a hit piece, because back then hit pieces worked. I'm sure you've known people in your career 10, 15 years ago, it's like one or two bad articles in WAPO or New York Times, and they're kind of like out of oh, here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. So then the media, because the hit pieces couldn't be honest, they were completely over the top. People just don't care anymore. Like, oh, you got a hit piece. Ha, ha, ha. You know, people send you like the dirtiest things about me that are just like nukes, right? And people are like, oh my God, this is like hilarious because it becomes funny that they make you out to be something that you're not so over the top. So then hit pieces quit working. And then that's why they had to start going to tech companies and crying. Oh, you have to ban these people because hit pieces made people more popular. And then the media didn't say, hmm, why is it that when we smear someone in Vice yeah, become, or the Daily they become the yeah. top, top candidate? Yeah. Yeah. What well, maybe, you know, if you're a little introspective and honest, you would say, well, People hate us so much and distrust us so much. They assume that if we attack someone, that person's good. That's the heuristic. And so did you get this all the, did you get this the whole way? I mean, when you're, when you start getting really politically active, you understand that the more incoming you're getting from these people, the more popular you're becoming intrinsically. Right. And that's why the media realized that too. And then that's why they worked so hard to get people banned Yeah, because they can't destroy you reputationally the way they used to be able to. They have to get you completely banned from a platform to shut you down. Whereas before they could destroy you reputationally. And that was sort of the end of the road for you. But you know what I find so, so interesting since we, since I've been doing ruthless, basically since I got out of government is talking to folks like you 
understanding how smart somebody like you is and seeing this from the outside perspective. And like you said, self-admittedly, you hadn't been following politics for a long time, but you can observe that up is down and down is up. And then you take this perspective and it's just, it's fascinating to me. You, you add this whole component where all of a sudden you have literally hundreds of thousands of people who are following you and not taking just your advice on juice blenders and headphones, but politics. Yeah, it's uh, it's surreal. And it happened, you know, 10x to Joe Rogan, yep. who was voluntarily drafted in the culture war. Yeah, I was I was just a guy. And this happened to Joe, too, is he would just say, hey, here's what I kind of think about the world. And then rather than say, oh, well, I wonder why he thinks that maybe we ought to. No, no. Now we have to crush him. So Go when after he, your motives. Right. Yeah, they went after him the hardest when he said he liked Bernie, which I don't even believe is true. I think that was just a cop out answer. That's what you think is a safe answer, right? Well, I really like Tulsi and Bernie because how can you go after anybody who likes Tulsi and Bernie, right? You can't. Well, they did that. And then next thing you know, CNN's like Joe Rogan's homophobia, transphobia, bigotry. This is all pre COVID, right? They yeah. went after him when he said he liked Bernie, and which should have been. That's me. That really is what you're saying is, please don't beat me. I like Tulsi and I like Bernie and everybody's supposed to be like, okay, okay. You just go. You're, you're not really, leave them alone. You're you're fake. You don't believe anything. You're, you're, get, get over here. We're going to leave you alone. You're a civilian in this conflict. And instead it was the opposite. They really dug into him. And, but that's what they do is you're not allowed to have a point of view. An MMA fighter says X or yeah, right. well, now we have to destroy him. Well, why? He's a fighter. He can't. He's in the UFC. You don't even watch UFC. You don't even like it. Who cares? Right. You know, right. You can't do that. They have to go after you. That's their only tactic. And then you end up making people ideological or, you know, quote unquote, like radicalizing. Because I see how they try to radicalize me. It's pretty funny. They, they become so vicious that if you're a normal human being, you overcorrect right. to it, or you play into their caricature, or you Whereas, or your mirror back sort right. of loudest your loudest constituency that's helping you push back on that. Right, that's the other exactly. the trap that you can fall into. Right, but I knew from my own mindset work and everything that you can't let other other people. So there's the chapter in Gorilla Mindset actually on self talk, and the idea is. In our own eternal dialogue where we treat each other, ourselves not good at all, we treat ourselves poorly, and it's very hard to just not talk to yourself, right? To not have that sublocution, that inner dialogue. What you do is you change the conversation, mm-hmm. right? If you don't like the conversation, change it. And that's something you would have, you know, you know from communication is if you don't like what people are saying about you, you don't have to say, I'm not that thing. I'm that. You can just talk about something totally no. different. Right. It's like, uh, I, I can't remember who I said this in reference to recently, but someone got pretty jammed up and I thought, just talk about anything, but what they're trying to jam you up on. Right. Right. But you feel like you have to defend yourself or you feel like you have to react or you feel like you have to, to body slam people. Well, maybe sometimes you do, but when all eyes on you, you can talk about whatever you want. Right. Talk about no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So one time they were, this was after I broke the, the Susan Rice and Maston story. It was all eyes on me and they were like trying to attack me. I did a live stream on skincare and people just like lost their minds because everyone thought I was going to 
you know, deal with the criticisms and, oh, they claim you're this, are you that? And I was just like, oh, okay, so here's my skincare routine. I have some hyaluronic acid <laughs> serum. And then, and then people don't know what to do because everybody, all eyes are on you. So you have a choice what to do when all, when all eyes are on you, right? Like you have that. People don't think that. I, I, that's why when I went on 60 Minutes, I, I did so well there. I tell people, like I said, so I'm a lawyer, right? If you're in a deposition under cross-examination, you don't have a choice. Right. If you're, in a, a, you know, if you're being interrogated by, the government, you know, you can't lie. You can't defuse. You can't do anything. You like they're prosecutors. You have to talk. Well, you don't have to talk to them without your lawyer. That's a different thing. And you should always have a lawyer. But the point is, there is almost no circumstance where you have to talk about what they say you have to talk about. Right. So unless I'm under oath with the feds, I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I can say, you know what? I woke up this morning and made eggs for breakfast and had, st- and I can just say that. And you can't say, you have to change the subject. No, I, I literally can do whatever I want to do. Right. Right. And people forget that, especially people in politics forget that. Just talk about something completely different. And then, you know, people move on. Or maybe you think the issue is very important and you want to drive it into the conversation. There, you know, there's tactically. Yeah, there's tactically- all tact. Yeah, totally. Well, listen, I, one of the things that I'm most interested about you, because you, you talk about all the sort of tactics that you've learned throughout the years, and you've obviously applied them well, but you also have a level of authenticity in what you're doing that I think is is lost on a lot of people, regardless of ideological spectrum, right? There's a, this is what I should do. This is what I should say. This is my, and you kind of just let it fly, right? And um, I'm interested in your current view of not just 2024 and what's going to happen in, in politics or Republican politics or whatever, but what's your current view of the status of American politics? Yeah, right now is, I think, very hard to understand. I'm trying to find, I, I follow the Ohio Senate primary and I, I talked to a friend of mine who works on the campaigns and I said, it, I don't understand this race. And he goes, oh, don't worry. Nobody, nobody does. Right. <laughs> just, I was like, okay, shoot. I thought thought I was losing my touch here, man. This is this is this is something just beyond my my comprehension. He's like, oh no, no, everybody's a shit show. Like that's a normal thing. I was like, thank goodness. And and I think that's where we are. We're in this strange. And that's the thing that people so people don't understand this about you is that you you observe in a very normal way all of the things that we are all observing. It's not like you're some militant sort of anarchist. Uh, point of view in party politics is that it, like you'll take a look at something that doesn't make sense to you and just talk about it. Right. Even even regardless of whether or not all of your followers want you to take a position or not, you don't do that. You ask the questions. Yeah, I, I find myself, you know, called, quote unquote, getting in trouble all the time, because if I were more of a just MAGA megaphone, I would probably have two three million followers. Right. But I was every time I saw Trump doing something that was dumb, I thought, well, that's dumb. Um, January 6th, I was like, this is an insurrection, but this is awful. You know, like I was, I was here watching. And I'm like, this is mortifying. Like the right. We don't riot. We don't hit. This is the one thing we have. This is like that. And right. And then people are like, well, why? Why weren't there the National Guard there? Because we don't riot. That's why. You imbeciles. I that's, that's why they we were. <laughs> right. Yeah, because they knew from a, a hundred events, a thousand. We don't do this. The March for Life is a million people. There's not even a street fight. The left has to make up some Covington kid 
mean mugging some guy to even get anything. Like we, so I'm mortified, right? And then people are like, oh, so you're saying it's an insurrection? I was like, I didn't say that, right? So I'm being brutal. No nuance. No nuance yeah. right, whatsoever, right? It's yeah. like you're either there or yeah. you're here, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and so so for me, fortunately, because I'm like I'm weird. I'm in this weird position where I'm fringe. But my influence isn't French. My influence. But are you? I mean, that's that's the thing that I've come to find out about. And and frankly, part of this is my own ignorance and getting out from the bubble of D.C. and D.C. politics and sort of, you know, the quote unquote establishment, which I would argue to the end of the earth. But but talking to people like you, um, I found that that's not there is not that's not a fringe. You're not a fringe actor. You're actually somebody who who takes inventory of all kinds of different things and has a genuinely authentic response to things that I think millions and well as as evidenced by your following and your book sales and your movie everything else the people resonate with sure I mean more than and that's that's the paradox right the duality is it's like I'm perceived as French but I'm not really French but because I'm perceived as French I'm able to talk about things that might not be intelligent for other people to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, it gives me this weird freedom creatively where I can say, Hey, I'm going to Peru this weekend. I'm going to do ayahuasca. You know, nobody else in politics can say that. Right. right? Cause you just, you can't, that would, even if Don Jr. said something like that, there'd be calls. Are you all right? That, you know, da, 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 da. It would be a whole thing. So I can sort of talk about, I have permission to talk about things that other people don't. And then people find that interesting and do their own things discreetly or in private or however people live. So that that's one of the, the real blessings, I guess, of being a free agent. Uh, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Free agent. Like here's, it's just like, you might pull out my Twitter and be like, what is he going on about today? <laughs> well, like, one of the things, so, so let me just, I got, I got three questions that I ask everybody that I want to ask you, but I want to wrap it with this by saying, there are a lot of things that I've agreed and disagreed with you throughout uh, the last few years. I think you're one of the most fascinating follow- follows on the internet because of there is a genuine authenticity and a lack of contrived sort of put me in a bucket of trying to influence X, Y, and Z um, that, that I just find refreshing. Right. And I, and I think you're an important part of this movement as a result, but that being said, I have three questions that everyone will judge what I just said upon that uh, everybody who listens to our show is is ultimately the arbiter of, of how you answer these questions. First one is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Yeah, I think I would fast. I think if I'm going to. You I'm are gonna, such a contrarian. I think that. Well, I thought, you know, I thought about this question before and. I think that if I'm about to to meet God and go through judgment, I want to be fasting because if it's my last meal, I know that my time is departing and I just want to take some deep breaths and and lay down and lean into it. And then I'm going to be held accountable for everything that I've done or not done. And I think a fasted state is the way to do that. That's the way to go. Fascinating introspection. All right. Here's question two. If you never got into this, if you never got anywhere near politics in your life, you have a lot of time on your hands. Blue sky answer. What do you think you'd want to do? Something small, cigar lounge, 
uh, gem, nothing, no, nothing grand. I want to be a, you know, Warren Buffett billionaire investor. It'd be something pro-social because I'm pro-social, but I'm introverted too, right? Cigar lounge, gym is kind of the best of both worlds. People are around, but they're not really talking to you. They're kind of doing their own thing. I like that. I like to be around people, but I don't want people talking to me. Very good answer. Very authentic answer. All right. So here's the third question. I think you'll appreciate this more than most of our guests. So we always put a range on what motivates people more, right? It's our version is it's the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And the thrill of victory is the sunny optimist charging up the hill. The agony of defeat person is they get about a half second of appreciation for every victory in life, but anything they've had a setback on they wear like a backpack and they just vow never to repeat it or to just absolutely avenge any possible problem that they've ever had. Where do you find yourself on that spectrum? I definitely used to run from fear. And I think a lot of people who are successful are dealing with insecurities. And that's why you, you try to become successful because you're really running from the fear of failure. But over the years, especially with kids and you know dealing with other people, it's definitely more I try to move towards love, right? Do you want to run away from fear? Or do you want to run towards love, run towards victory, run towards aspiration? So definitely was a riddled with insecurities. And that's probably showed up in a lot of my earlier work, a lot of issues. Definitely was running from fear, running from the fear of failure. And now I try to be more aspirational and move towards love and move, to, move towards positivity and an aspirational vision. That's a, that's a solid answer. It shows, and it shows change over time, which we all obviously do. Listen, Mike Cernovich, I can't appreciate this enough. I really uh, like talking to you. Stay in touch. Anything you're working on that we ought to check out? No, I feel great. People keep asking me, what are you working on? And I'm telling them nothing. I'm doing a lot of cardio and I'm reading a lot of books on Orthodox Christianity. And that's kind of it. I'm reading a lot and doing a lot of cardio. Well, we'll all stay tuned. Mike Cernovich, thanks for your time. Thanks, Josh. Listen, I, I just find these these conversations fascinating, right? Because nobody else gives them the time of day. Everybody everybody thinks that like the mainstream media can sort of like hem them in and define who they are and never really talk to them in a long form way to get their thoughts and how they get involved and every, everything else. When you do, you find out a whole bunch of different stuff. I mean, and I love that we are the forum. Yeah, like for the conservative movement, for everyone on the right, this is where you show up. This is where you sing for your supper, whether you're a candidate, whether you're a reporter, wherever you are, you know, the voice of the right is right here. I love it. We've done it again. Absolute banger. If I must say so myself, gentlemen. And uh, again, folks, if you have not yet voted, voting is happening right now for Hack Madness. Check out the Ruthless Twitter account. So until next time, minions, keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.